Welcome to the Verse by Verse podcast, a ministry of the Friendship Congregational Bible Church. I'm Richard Church, the teacher on Verse by Verse, and I'm glad you've joined with us today as we study together God's infallible word, verse by verse. Let's turn in our Bibles to Ephesians chapter 4 as we look at the topic of a special kind of unity. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith ye are called, with all lowliness and meekness, with long suffering, forbearing one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, even as you are called, in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. And this passage describes that unity that there is in the, in the body of Christ, and uh, certainly a, a, a unity that anybody who's been saved for very long, ought to have experienced in their local assembly and as a fellowship with, with other saints. Um, unity, you know, people have unity just in the world around all kinds of different things. In fact, our, our very nation is called the United States of America. Uh, you know, an interesting anecdote um, if uh, some of you remember back to when President Clinton was impeached and uh, prior to the impeachment, you know, the way impeachment works is the, the House of Representatives votes first to impeach and then the Senate conduct, conducts a trial and uh, the senators were all required to sign a pledge that they would, you know, hear, hear the case and, and apply impartial justice. And, uh, you know, in Washington, when they sign all of these things, they always have, you know, special, special pens that commemorate the occasion. And, and for signing that pledge, the, the Parker Pen Company provided these pens to each of the senators to, to sign that pledge. But there was a misprint on the pens. And instead of saying the United States Senate, they said the untied state Senate. <laughs> and, you know, when we, when we think about the unity that there ought to be in the body of Christ, sometimes it more resembles being untied than it does actually being united. Uh, now, the Apostle Paul here in, in this passage, uh, he, chapter 4 begins almost, almost exactly the same way that uh, chapter 3 began. You know, chapter 3, verse 1, he says, For this cause I, Paul, the prisoner of Jesus Christ, for you Gentiles. Chapter 4, he says, I, therefore, the prisoner of of the Lord. And remember that Ephesians is one of the prison epistles. Paul is writing from a, a Roman prison as he writes this letter to the church at Ephesus. But you notice there he doesn't say, I therefore the prisoner of Rome, or I therefore the prisoner of Caesar. He says, I therefore the prisoner of the Lord. Now, Paul's words are at the, at the same time, you know, he's kind of reminding the Ephesians about his state 
there as a prisoner, but ultimately he doesn't say he's a prisoner of Rome. He says he's the prisoner of the Lord. He says he's the, the prisoner of Jesus Christ. In chapter 3, verse 1, he said he was the prisoner of Jesus Christ for you Gentiles. And so while Paul, is, you know, his, his physical state is that he is a prisoner of Rome. If you remember, uh, he had been originally imprisoned. He had been at, at uh, Jerusalem and the Jews were upset about some of the things that Paul was saying and doing with regard to the Gentiles. And they brought accusation before him and, and he was being held there uh, in, in prison, first in Jerusalem and then in Caesarea. And um, he, Paul appealed unto Caesar. He used one of his rights that he had as a Roman citizen to appeal unto Caesar. Um, the, you know, the, different, the different rulers that he was tried under said really uh, there wasn't really any reason to hold him because the, the kinds of things that the Jews were accusing him of, Roman law wasn't concerned with at all. But he appealed unto Caesar, and that was a, a convenient way of them to, to kind of pass the buck to somebody else. And, and if somebody else was going to upset the Jews, let it be Caesar. And uh, Paul is sent there to Rome. And he's when we say he was a prisoner, you know, at various times, at the end of the book of Acts, Paul isn't actually in like what we would think of as a prison. He's kind of under house arrest. Um, and, and the book of Acts, you know, kind of ends there with Paul under house arrest at Rome. Uh, history records that at various times he was in prison, not just under house arrest. And uh, it's also likely that, you know, there was a period where Paul was, was freed and then later imprisoned again, uh, eventually was killed under the uh, Roman, Roman officials. But here he, he seems to be sort of reminding the Ephesians of that. You know, uh, as as Paul is writing to them and he's going to write to them about keeping unity and, and all these things, it kind of helps to put things into perspective. You know, any any kind of local church, there are, there are uh, divisions that might arise uh, from time to time. There's disagreements, those kinds of things. And Paul seems to be, as he's going to address this, this topic of unity, to remind them that... While they may have these things that come up in, in their local church, he's, he's in prison for what's being preached. See? And, and sometimes we can get wrapped up in you know, all, all kinds of things. Uh, it helps to have that perspective. Uh, and, and so he reminds them of that. He, he says he's the prisoner of the Lord, and he beseeches them here. He begs them that they would walk worthy of the vocation, he says, wherewith you are called. And a, and a vocation, there would be a calling. Uh, the, the root word would be the same as the word vocal, uh, to, you know, literally a, a, an audible calling. Now here he's talking about the, the calling that we have, being called to be saints. And there is a walk that is worthy of that calling, we, you know, we've been called, we've been called out of the world and we've been called to be saints and there's a walk that's worthy of that and there's a walk that's unworthy of that. And this unity that he's going to stress in the passage is a part of that walk that is worthy of the calling wherewith we've been called. Uh, to walk just in, in division and strife and, and, and all of that all the time is not worthy of the calling of the saint of God, but 
to walk in unity is. And he, and he describes that worthy walk when he says that we're to walk with all lowliness and meekness, with long suffering, forbearing one another in love. Uh, so, so we're to walk with lowliness and meekness, to, to uh, says in other passages, to esteem others better than ourselves. Uh, that's a that's a difficult thing often to do, uh, certainly. But that's the walk that's worthy to be long suffering when offenses do come and offenses will come to suffer those things, to to uh, endure those things, to forbear one another in love and to demonstrate to one another the same kind of love that the Lord Jesus Christ has demonstrated to us. That's the calling with which we've been called. We've been called into that eternal life that Christ purchased with his own blood. And the walk that's worthy of it is that, that same walk of the Lord Jesus Christ, esteeming others better, better than ourselves to forbear one another in love. And then he says in verse 3, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Now we're going to come back to this verse and, and talk about verse 3 a little bit more. But... But he says we're to endeavor to keep this unity, this special kind of unity that the body of Christ has. A part of that worthy walk is to endeavor to keep the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. And verses four, five and six then describe what what really is the basis of the unity of the body of Christ. There are some things that are true of the body of Christ that give an intrinsic unity to that body. As, as he lists these things, you see the emphasis on the word one. One body. One spirit. Even as you're called in one hope of your calling. One Lord. One faith. One baptism. One God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. You see, see that emphasis on one, and that, that of course, is what unity is. It's a oneness. Um, as he lists these, these uh, individual items here, these individual ones, if you count them up between those three verses, there are seven ones that are, are emphasized in verses four through six. And the number seven is a significant Number in the Bible, the number seven is a number of completion. You think about uh, how the, the uh, creation is completed in six days and then the Lord rests on the seventh day. And we have a seven day week on the basis of that. Uh, you think about all of the sevens that appear, for instance, in the book of Revelation, where really the, the history of the world is being brought to completion and to consummation. And it's very fitting that that number seven would appear so many times there in that in that book of Revelation with seven seals and and, uh, you know, seven trumpets and and all of those sevens that you see there, because seven is a number of completion. And uh, that's something to, to pay attention to in your Bible. You know, some some people some people put a whole lot of emphasis on on Bible numerology. OK, and I think some people put an undue emphasis on it, but certainly there are certain numbers in your Bible that have very specific meanings. And that number seven is one of them. And so this unity, the, the importance of that is that this unity is not a partial unity, but it's a complete Unity, and and if we'll understand these seven things here, that these seven ones that pertain to the body of Christ, that's that's where the body is going to have unity. 
And so um, he describes verse four begins even with that one body. Now, as we talk about these seven ones, uh, understand what he's describing here is is what I would call an intrinsic unity of the body of Christ, not necessarily an external unity. Uh, we'll, we'll talk about that. But there is a unity that the body of Christ has by its very nature. And there's a unity that's there, even if individual members might, might disagree with regard to some of these ones or might, uh, uh, you know, hold the different positions regarding the, the one hope or, or, uh, you know, various aspects of this. Uh, there, nevertheless, there's a unity that's there. Right. If if two different believers have a different understanding about the one body of Christ, it doesn't change the fact that by by their very nature, by who God has created them to be in Christ, they are members of one body together. Their understanding of it may differ, but that one body is what it is. Right. And so there's a there's a unity here that it describes in these verses that is is. it's not it's not related to our outward fellowship. OK, it exists between members of the body of Christ because of what God has created in that body of Christ. And he begins there with that one body. You see that the body of Christ is not intended to to be, uh, you know, split up into these various denominations and things. There's reasons why those exist, but. Every believer in Christ uh, upon faith in the gospel is made a part of one body, a single body, not this denomination, that denomination, not this church, that church. Now, certainly you have, you know, local assemblies uh, of that body of Christ, but the body is one body. Um, You know, oftentimes when we read these passages about the, the body of Christ, you know, we think most immediately about our local church. When we read about, you know, there being one body with many members, and we think about our local church and the various people that do, do various things. But, but realize that one body goes far beyond just our local church. Uh, that one body is something that is, is not, you know, we, we have local churches because there are geographical considerations. We can't, the whole body of church the body, body of Christ can't uh, come together and, and meet in one place at one time. And so we meet with saints, uh, fellow members of the body of Christ that are in that area that can come together and, and have fellowship together. But understand the body of Christ uh, is believer, all believers everywhere that have trusted the gospel and, and at all times as well. Uh, think about that when you read about things going on in the world. When you read about the persecutions, for instance, going on various places in the world, there was a the the voice of the martyrs, you know, has a lot of information about different uh, persecution going on in there. I believe it was their their magazine uh, not too long ago was talking about some of the, the persecution that's going on in Nigeria and the. The, the title story, it was titled Nigeria's Red Letter Bible. And it had a picture there of a Bible that was kind of laid open like that, smeared with blood. Because some people had come through this church, some Muslims had come through this church and had killed the pastor and, and various people. And what a striking image that was. You know, um, there's some people that are 
pretty proud of their red letter Bible, right? Now there's a red letter Bible not to be proud of, but but a red letter Bible to to honor. There's some people who gave their lives uh, for what they believed, and and you know when when it comes to sometimes you see these areas where there is intense persecution. And, you know, the Christians there often are much more united than in other places, because, you know, when you have when you have some false religion that's going to come and kill Christians, they don't care what what brand or stripe of Christian you are. If you claim the name of Christ, you're on their list. Right. And, um, you know, some of the some of the things sometimes that that we argue about or people get upset about or or uh, leave churches over seem kind of petty when you compare it to that. Um, that was just a, that that image uh, is burned there in my brain. What a striking image there on the cover of that magazine of that red letter Bible. But um, that one body and, you know, that one body. I mean, we can think about Christians all over the world today, but, but realize that one body uh, begins there uh, with the Apostle Paul and. You know, all, all the believers there from the from the middle of the book of Acts on, you have people being brought into that one body. And it, it's a you know, it's a fruitful thing really to just just contemplate that that unity that is there as being members of that one body. When you read about I, I hope when you read things about church history, that that's not just some some dead thing to you, like when you read other kinds of history. But when you read about these saints of the past and, and you read about the, the things that they did to, to get the word of God out there and oftentimes the things that they suffered, that you realize you're one with those, those people. You're members of the same body. When you read about, uh, you know, going, going back, you read about saints like Ignatius of Antioch. I, that's somebody I encourage you to read about. Uh, interesting guy. But you read about a, a saint like that. And you realize this isn't just some historical figure that lived at some point in the past. This is somebody who's a member of the same body that I'm a member of because we're both joined to Christ. And you know those verses that talk about the body of Christ, they talk about us being the body of Christ, but it doesn't just say we're members of Christ. It says we're members of one another as well. We're, every person here, and there may be some here that haven't, haven't trusted the gospel, um, I pray if that's the case that uh, before the weekend is over, in fact, before the, the day is over, that you would make that choice to trust Christ and become a member of that one body. But for everyone here that has trusted the gospel, we're members of Christ and we're members of one another. What affects one member affects all the members. We may not always be aware. Obviously, we're not aware of everything that's going on with every individual member. But realize what, what affects one member affects uh, all the members, whether it be directly or indirectly. You know, that's that's something for us to be very careful about. For instance, when we consider what sin we allow in our life, that doesn't just affect me. That doesn't just affect what I'm doing. It's very easy to kind of take on this individualist mindset that that uh, what's going on in my life shouldn't matter to anybody else but me. And uh, it's nobody else's business. But it is because we're members of the same body. If there's if there's a cancer in one part of the body, it doesn't just affect that part. The whole body is is uh, involved in that. See, and that's that's the kind of relationship that we have. We're we're joined to Christ and we're joined to one another in one body. And so that's where 
in Ephesians 4, as he talks about the, the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace, that's where he begins. There's one body. And there's one spirit. In fact, before, before Paul is done here with these ones, he's going to mention all of the members of the Godhead, the spirit, uh, the Lord Jesus Christ, and God the Father. And there's one spirit, and, and that one spirit dwells in all believers. Now, each believer doesn't get a part of the Holy Spirit of God. Uh, when somebody believes the gospel, the Spirit of God dwells in them. And, you know, the Spirit of God is, is not something, um, you know, we when we think of a, oftentimes the Spirit is referred to as being a person, or people refer to the three persons of the Godhead. Well, when we think of a person, we think of a, you know, an individual like us. But, but you and I, we're bound by, by space and time. We're, we're bound, when we say that I dwell somewhere, we're dwelling here in this, in this building today. We're here and we're not somewhere else. But the Holy Spirit of God isn't like that. See, the Holy Spirit of God can dwell in me and dwell in you and dwell in you. And again, it's not just a little piece of the Spirit of God in each of us, but it's one Spirit of God fully dwelling in, in every believer. Um, so, so you have this one body. You know, we're taken uh, when we believe the gospel. We're, prior to that, we're, we're alienated from the life of that one body, but we're taken brought into that one body. And the Holy Spirit of God is like the life of that body. It's like the life that's, that's circulating through that body. And that one Spirit of God inhabits the bodies of believers to such a degree that we're called the, our bodies are called the temple of the Holy Ghost that dwells in us. And so, so you know, notice as we talk about these things here, all of these things are, are things that God has done to create a unity in the body of Christ. He's made us members of a body. He's taken, he's put his spirit within us. And then it says, even as you're called in one hope of your calling. Every believer in that body of Christ has the same hope. Now, as you talk to different believers uh, about what their hope is, you may find that uh, different people have different ideas about what that hope is, right? Um, when you read in the, in the scripture, it talks about our blessed hope in connection with the, with the resurrection, with the rapture. You know, we see that when we, when we understand the mystery, the difference between mystery and prophecy. We see that there is a, a catching away that takes place at the end of this dispensation of grace. Where we're caught up in the, in the air, caught up in the clouds to, to ever be with the Lord. And, and that there's a difference between that and some other passages that talk about, uh, you know, the, the resurrection of, uh, Old Testament saints and, and some of that. We see some of those distinctions. Um, we have a, we have a hope in that. It's that, it's that, uh, manifestation of the sons of God. We have, we have a hope in that. We know our hope is not just to, to, to live a good life and then, and then die and, and no longer be uh, aware of anything or just pass out of existence, but we have an eternal hope. We have a hope to where, where this unity that currently, you know, we have in a spiritual sense, 
where we are going to be ever be with the Lord and actually, you know, live that unity in a very practical sense. And, and we have a hope in that. Now, you go out and you talk to different people and, and uh, some people uh, have various beliefs about what that hope is. Uh, it doesn't change the fact that for the body of Christ, there only is one hope, right? Um, that, that there's not, you know, a different hope because this denomination teaches one thing and this denomination teaches another thing. And so we all have different hopes. There's only one hope. Only one of those positions is right. Uh, only one of those things is, is the truth of what's going to take place with the body of Christ. We ought to be endeavoring to make sure that what we are hoping for or, or waiting for is what the Bible describes as the hope of the believer. And so there's one hope for the body of Christ. There's one Lord. And of course, that's the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, again, you know, some, some people hear them teach about the Lord Jesus Christ. You wonder... You wonder if they have the same Lord. And, of course, the Apostle Paul warned about those who would come preaching another Jesus. Realize that not everybody who talks about Jesus is talking about this one Lord. Right. And uh, there are a lot of people who have uh, you know, a lot of ideas about who Jesus was and who Jesus is. And, and uh, a lot of ideas that don't match up with the word of God. But we have one Lord. One Faith. Now, here, you know, he's not talking about the believer's individual subjective faith or, or what they believe, but there's one faith. There's the faith that was once delivered to the saints. If you go to Romans, go over to Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1, verse 12, here is, as Paul is talking about his desire to come to Rome and to preach to them. You see, he says in Romans 1 verse 12, he says, that is that I may be comforted together with you by the mutual faith, both of you and me. It wasn't that Paul had his faith and they had their faith, but there was a mutual faith. They both had the same faith. Uh, you know, it's increasingly today people, people uh, use the term people of faith, to mean religious people, right? Usually when you hear that term, it's uh, somebody's kind of trying to use a blanket term to describe uh, all the various religions, and they'll use that term, people of faith. Uh, but, but then you ask, well, what faith, right? Because that term often when it's used, I mean, it can refer to not just, not just uh, Christian denominations, but the Muslim faith or the Hindu faith. And, and you know, certainly uh, religious people have faith in something. Uh, although most of the time what religion does, it tells you to put faith in yourself and your ability to follow some standard and to earn eternal life. That's not faith that the Apostle Paul's talking about. Uh, he's talking about that that faith, um, you know, we can we can. Turn to Romans chapter 3. Notice here Romans 3, uh, verse 21. And when you get into the end here of Romans chapter 3, you know, the first couple of chapters, Paul is, is taking away people's excuses. And he's, he's taking away uh, their, you know, their, their reasoning that somehow their flesh could earn them eternal life. 
And when you get to the, the uh, by the time you get here to the end of chapter 3, he's basically pronounced everybody guilty before God. He's, he's shown just the, the utter impossibility of somehow working your way to eternal life. And so chapter 3, verse 20 says, Therefore, by the deeds of the law, there shall, be, there shall no flesh be justified in his sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. But now the righteousness of God without the law is manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ, unto all and upon all them that believe, for there is no difference. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, verse 24, being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God hath set forth to be a propitiation through faith in His blood to declare His righteousness for the remission of sins that are past through the forbearance of God, to declare, I say at this time, His righteousness that He might be just and the justifier of him which believeth in Jesus. Hi, I'm Richard Church, the teacher here on Verse by Verse. I'm glad you've listened to our podcast today, and I would like to let you know that if you have any questions about anything you've heard here, you can contact me by email at richard at richardchurch.com or by telephone 608-339-9522. I also encourage you to check out our church website at www.friendshipbiblechurch.com. Thank you for joining us today, and our prayer is that this program would be a blessing to you in helping you to grow in your understanding of God's grace.